0: As we begin a message today, I want you to try and think of a time when you were chosen for something. So that could have been that you got given a job, it could have been that you got a promotion, it could have been that you won an award for something, uh, it could have been go way back to school days where you were chosen as a school captain or uh, you had some experience of being chosen in some way or another. Hopefully all of us have had at least one experience where we can say, yes, that was a time when I was picked for something. There's something really, really significant about those moments when we are chosen for something. Sometimes we realise it at the time, so sometimes it's something that we've been working really hard towards and so being able to receive what we've been chosen for is something that we really recognise, wow, that's so great. And other times it's something that we look back on in reflection and realise, wow, that was actually really significant and I didn't know at the time how significant it was, as I was thinking about that this week, there was a couple of examples came to mind for me. So uh, one of them was me being chosen to come here to be your pastor here at Brooklyn Park. That was a very, very significant thing for me and for us as a family to be given the privilege to be able to step into this role and to come into the life of our church here and to be able to be here. That was a really significant moment. So thank you for choosing me as a part of that. Another one that came to mind is uh, that when I was in high school, I was on something called the South Australian Student Participation Interim Standing Committee. And the fact that I can remember what that is many, many years later is a tribute to how acrostics work, where you take the first letter of a word and then sew them all together because SASPISC is uh, something that I would somehow managed to remember. And uh, so this was a council of people, there was nine or 10 of us from across the state who were chosen to be a part of this committee where we got together once a month uh, to talk about the future of education in South Australia and a whole bunch of different things. And so I would get picked up from my school in Strathalbyn. Someone would drive all the way to Strath and then pick me up and then drive me all the way down for our meetings and then drive me back afterwards and drop me off. And uh, I don't think at the time that I realised how significant that That was. So that was a huge privilege to be one of nine or ten people who were a part of being able to speak into the choices that were being made about where schools were going uh, many, many years ago. I won't say how many years ago, but a long time. Today, as we continue our series where we're walking through this letter that Peter wrote, we're going to wrestle with this idea of what it means to be people who are chosen. And in particular, we're going to talk about what it means to be people who are chosen by God. And given specific roles that are chosen by God. And so uh, this is the third week of our series uh, where we're walking through this letter that Peter wrote to a bunch of Christians who had originally, most of them, been in Jerusalem, but had scattered all over this region called Asia Minor, what is modern day Turkey. And so he was writing to them to encourage them and to strengthen them and to challenge them about what it meant to follow Jesus. Now first week we had a look at the overview of that and some background and the theme of hope and then last week we talked about what it looks like for us to pursue holiness and to strive to be holy in the way that God is holy and so if you haven't been around for those I encourage you to have a listen to them on our website, Facebook page or on our podcast and so today we're going to look at the theme of being chosen and so you have your notes inside of Care and Connection uh, so if it's helpful to jot things down as we go through the message please feel free to do that. So the first thing that Peter tells us that we've been chosen for is that we've been chosen to be God's temple. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, Peter writes, Come to the Lord, the living stone rejected by people as worthless, but chosen by God as valuable. Come as living stones and let yourselves be used in building the spiritual temple. So this imagery would have been very, very vivid for the people that Peter's writing to. Again, remember that most of them probably started out in Jerusalem or at least would have been to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place where the temple was and the temple was seen as really the spiritual heart of the whole Israelite nation. It was seen as the place where God dwelt, the place where God lived. If you wanted to engage with God, that's the place that you would go to. You would go and you would spend time in the temple. It was also the place where you would go to worship to be able to be reminded about who God is and to be able to express your feelings about that. But the temple was also the place where you would go, where you would be able to experience forgiveness. So it was a place where you would go and you would confess the things that you had made mistakes with, the brokenness that you'd caused, and you would offer a sacrifice. And therefore, out of that, you would be offered forgiveness. But you would also go to offer sacrifices to say thank you to God as well, to express your gratitude for all that God had done for you. So Peter is saying something that's very, very radical here. That he's saying that temple, which would have been really, really clear for all of the people he's writing to, that actually doesn't matter anymore. And what's fascinating is that just a couple of years after this letter is written, the temple in Jerusalem is completely destroyed by the Romans. And so that actually became very real and very true for them. But what Peter's saying instead is that it's not about a physical building, but in actual fact, because of Jesus... You are now the temple of God, made by living stones. Which is absolutely shocking and radical when you think about it. Because Peter's saying to them, you, when you get together, are now the place where people can encounter God. God dwells amongst you when you get together. So when we gather together, there should be a sense of expectation that just like when you go into the temple, there's a sense of awe and a sense of, I know that God's here, When people encounter us, when people spend time with us, there should be that same sense of recognition that God is amongst us. God is here with us. should be a sense of us focusing on what worship looks like, that when we gather together, we don't have to go to a building where God is. We can take the time to be able to recognize this is who God is and to express that as we've been doing so far today an opportunity for us to be a space where people can experience forgiveness in a tangible way obviously we don't offer sacrifices anymore but there's still that recognition of being able to say we should be a place where people feel comfortable confessing to each other admitting the times that we've messed up the brokenness that we've got and being able to say to each other but it's okay you're forgiven because of the sacrifice of Jesus We should also be the space where we've got the opportunity to gather together and to be able to express our gratitude, to say, God, we're so thankful for all that you have given to us. So Peter says, that's who we are. All of us who center around Jesus, we're now the living temple. We are living stones that make up the temple of God. It's really, really staggering when you stop and think about the implications of all of that. But Peter is also reminding us, which is very good for us, especially in the West, that we're being built together into this spiritual temple. That it's not about just my personal spirituality, which we can sometimes fall into the trap of, my relationship with God, me focusing on what God has done just for me. But it's about us being able to recognise. We're not these living stones who are all off by ourselves being all these little individual temples. God is building us together. There's a sense of connection that's really, really important for us as we work out what it looks like to be this living temple other translations talk about god building us together as god being the master builder on friday night we watched the second lego movie which was really really fantastic to see and uh, if you've seen either of the lego movies you know this idea of a master builder is something really great you can see a master builder can see all of the pieces of lego and how they all fit together to build something really really amazing And so that's the picture that we have of God. God is this master builder who can take all of us as living stones who are all different shapes and all different sizes and be able to build us together into his living temple, the way that he can see that we're supposed to be. So Peter then uses three Old Testament passages to unpack what this all looks like a little bit further. So in verse 6, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, where he says, the scripture says, I chose a valuable stone, Which I'm placing as the cornerstone in Zion. And whoever believes in him will never be disappointed. And so, uh, Zion is the mountain on which Jerusalem was built. So, again, seen as this dwelling place of God, but is also this understanding of the place where God is. And so, as we think about the future and being able to spend time with God, that's what that looks like. And so, this passage from Isaiah is looking forward to the time when Jesus is going to come as the cornerstone. Now, I don't know a whole lot about building, but I do know that when you build something, it's really important to have a cornerstone in place. And especially in older buildings, cornerstones were one of the most significant bricks that needed to be laid. And so a cornerstone is put in place and everything else is built out from there. The cornerstone is what gives the structure its strength, supports the walls that are going up, unites everything together and holds everything together. And so Peter's quoting that to say, as this living temple that's being built together out of the stones that we are, Jesus is the cornerstone on which all of that is built. Jesus is the most important part of that. We start with Jesus and everything else builds out from there. Our strength builds out from Jesus as the cornerstone. The support that we get comes from Jesus. Jesus is the one who unites and holds us together. In verse 7, he then quotes from Psalm 118, where he says, This stone is of great value for you that believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone which the builders rejected as worthless turned out to be the most important of all. This is a good reminder to us that even though we now look back and we can see the significance of Jesus, Jesus was rejected by lots and lots of people. Lots of people misunderstood who he was, misunderstood what he'd come to do, misunderstood what he came to say. And yet through it all, Jesus ends up becoming the most important stone, the cornerstone on which everything that we believe about God is built out from. And then Peter quotes a third time from verse 8, from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. He says, another scripture says, this is the stone that will make people stumble, the rock that will make them fall. They stumbled because they did not believe in the word. Such was God's will for them. And so this is a good reminder for us that Jesus is either the cornerstone on which we build our lives and the cornerstone on which we build our lives together as a church family, or with the potential of Jesus becoming a stumbling block for us. And we know what that metaphor means and what that looks like. It's a good challenge to recognise we can't really be neutral with Jesus. You can't just say, oh, we'll kind of take it or leave it. It doesn't really matter. Jesus, either as we look into who he was and what he has done and what he taught, either becomes this central figure who we build everything else out from or has the potential to become someone who is very offensive, who challenges us in significant ways or who we find ourselves tripping over. And again, that's true for us individually, but that's also true for us collectively as we move forward forward as a church. So Peter begins by saying, we have been chosen by God to be his temple. The temple that begins with Jesus, that is built with Jesus as the cornerstone. And as we work together then as living stones that are building this temple, we have the opportunity to be the place where people can encounter God in significant ways. The place where people can come and experience forgiveness, express their gratitude, all of the things that the temple has always been about. Peter then says that we've been chosen to be God's priests. So we go back to verse 5. We looked at the first half of this just before. Peter says, Come as living stones and let yourselves be used in the, uh, building in building the spiritual temple where you will serve as holy priests to offer spiritual and acceptable sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter actually takes this imagery even further because, again, these people who he was writing to would have really understood the temple And they would have understood the place of a priest in the temple. The priests are these people who have direct access to God. If you wanted to pray, it wasn't something you could necessarily do. You needed to kind of go and talk to a priest and they would pray on your behalf. The priests were the ones who would offer those sacrifices. The ones who would then say, you are forgiven because this has been done on your behalf. The priests were the ones who would offer sacrifices as you express your gratitude for all that God has given you. So these priests played this really, really massively significant role. They were the people who helped others to receive forgiveness, to connect with God in significant ways. And so Peter's saying, that's you. You are now, all of you, holy priests. You've all been promoted into this role. In this living temple, all of you play the role of being priests. Again, this is really, really staggering when you think about it. We're now the ones who have direct access to God, every single one of us. We don't have to go through anyone else anymore. All of us have direct access to God. All of us have the opportunity to express forgiveness and to pass that forgiveness on to other people. All of us have the opportunity to bring offerings before God, but also to help other people to do that, to help other people to express their gratitude and say thank you. So this is staggering when you think about it. And again, imagine you're in a Jewish context and all you've ever known is the temple as a building with these priests who are a very chosen people from one of the tribes of Israel. You had to be a specific type of person to be in this role. And Peter's saying, nope, that's all done. You're the temple. All of you are now priests. This is amazing what he's really saying here. But he does say that we're not called to be people who continue to do the things that priests used to do. We're called to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. We obviously understand that Jesus was the final sacrifice, so we don't anymore have to offer lambs and goats and birds and things as our sacrifices. We believe that Jesus came and ended the sacrificial, one, sacrificial system once and for all through his death and resurrection. There is no need for us to offer sacrifices to receive forgiveness anymore. We just remember what Jesus has done for us and live out of that sense of forgiveness. But we are challenged to offer spiritual sacrifices as offerings the other part of what the sacrificial system was all about. You would go in and you would say, God, thank you for your provision in my life. Thank you for all that you've given to me. Because of that, I'm going to make this sacrifice as a symbol of what you've done for me. That's what Peter is saying, is we, as holy priests, are now in a place where we're to offer spiritual sacrifices, but it's kind of ramped up. Spiritual sacrifices are not just something that we go, and, oh, well, there's a goat, there's a sheep, there's a pigeon... No, our spiritual sacrifices are our very lives. Everything about who we are, our heart, our passion, our energy, our time, the things we say, the things we do, these are the spiritual sacrifices that we offer to God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 is one of my favourite verses, especially the message translation, because it says, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. It's a beautiful picture, but it's also a massive challenge to so say every part of what we do, from the moment that we get up, all of the things we do through the day, the moment that we go to sleep, all of that is us making a spiritual sacrifice to God, an offering to God for all that He has done for us. So we've been chosen to be the temple. And we've been chosen to be God's priests, people who can connect with God directly, and serve other people as we offer our very lives. But then thirdly, Peter says that we've also been chosen to be God's people. In verse uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, the verses that we read, Peter writes, You are the chosen race, the king's priests, the holy nation, God's own people, chosen to proclaim the wonderful acts of God, who called you out of darkness into his own marvellous light. At one time, you were not God's people, but now you are his people. At one time, you did not know God's mercy, but now you have received his mercy. So this, Peter is saying, is also massively radical. When we build our lives on Jesus, we become all of these things that he names there. A chosen race, a holy nation, God's own people. And all of those phrases are words that were used about the Israelites, the people in the Old Testament who God chose to say, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to help you to understand what life is supposed to be all about. You're my chosen people. Peter says, not anymore. Anyone who follows Jesus is a part of that chosen race, a part of that holy, set apart people. It's not just the Israelites. It's not about our nationality. It's not about whether we're Australian or whether we're Indian or whether we're Nepalese or whether we're Fijian or wherever we come from. We're a part of Jesus' holy nation, this nation that has been set apart, that is so much bigger than just geography. Our citizenship lies with him. Our allegiance lies with him. We are God's chosen people. We're God's family, the people that God wants to walk with, work with, work through, help to be able to change the world. And as God's chosen people, what have we been chosen to do? To proclaim the wonderful acts of God and to turn on the lights, to be able to help people, to be able to see things clearly, the way that they're supposed to be, and to be able to experience God's mercy, to be able to have a tangible sense of experiencing God's action for us, God's love for us, God's compassion for us, God's forgiveness for us, even in those moments when we really don't deserve it. Peter then unpacks that a little bit further in verses 11 and 12, where he says, I appeal to you, my friends, as strangers and refugees in this world, do not give in to bodily passions which are always at war against the soul. Your conduct among the heathen should be so good that when they accuse you of being evildoers, they'll have to recognise your good deeds and so praise God on the day of his coming. So Peter challenges us to say, if we have been chosen as God's people, if we have been chosen as God's nation, a holy nation that's been set apart, and in some ways that means we're kind of strangers and refugees in this world in which we live. So we shouldn't just embrace the culture that's around us and do what everyone else is doing. In particular, he says that we shouldn't give in to bodily passions. Other translations talk about not giving in to worldly desires, not giving in to indulging the ego, not giving in to selfish desires. Because we recognise that those things, our selfish desires, are actually at war with our soul, with our spiritual self. And so when we give in to those things, we're actually giving them power to defeat our spiritual selves. There is a war that's raging, and when we focus on those things, we actually empower them. And all of us know that that's true. When we cave in to selfish desires... When we lash out, when we say that thing that we really didn't mean, when we hurt that person, when we watch that thing that we know that we shouldn't have watched, when we focus on inappropriate things, all of that causes an inner war inside of ourselves. In those moments where we cause brokenness or we pursue something that we know is not right, we know that there's this tension that kicks in and it is absolutely this war between our selfish desires and our spiritual selves, the best that God has for us. And so Peter says, don't give in to those selfish desires. Don't let them win. But instead, live in such a way that if people were to accuse you of anything, other people around them would actually say, them? No way. That's not possible. I know what they're like. I know what they're generally focused on. Maybe they made a mistake. Maybe it was just they were having a bad day. But that's not what they're normally like. They're people who love. They're people who care. They're people who focus on serving. There's no way that can be true. So are we people who, when others look at our lives, say, them? No way. That can't possibly be true. They seem to be different. They're a part of this set-apart nation, this holy nation. So that's who Peter says that we are. That's who we've been chosen to be, a holy living temple, God's holy priests, a chosen people, God's holy nation. Last week, we talked a lot about holiness, that sense of being set apart for God's purposes. We're the temple that's been set apart for God's purposes. We're the priests that have been set apart for God's purposes. We're the nation that's been set apart for God's purposes. So the question for us to reflect on as we head into this week is, does that change how I see myself? And put the reflection question this way. Do I see myself the way that God sees me? Do I see myself The way that God sees me. Do I recognize that God believes in me enough to choose me to be a part of His living temple? To replace the old temple, a building, which is His dwelling place, with us? God chooses all of us to be a part of that. A place where we can help others to experience God's presence. A place where we can help people to have a tangible experience of forgiveness. A place where people can worship God, recognize who he is, and declare how amazing he is. Do I see myself as God's chosen priest? For some of us, that word priest is very, very loaded. Do I see myself as elevated into that position? That's how much God believes in me. And not because I'm religious enough, not because I can do the right things and say the right things because I've been opened up to be one of the people who God works through, one of the people who comes and intentionally offers forgiveness to other people, intentionally gives people an opportunity to experience God. Do I see myself as one of God's chosen people, living the way that God wants me to, being set apart, not giving in to selfish desires, but living the way that I know God created me to live? Do I allow myself to believe that all of that is true about me? God has chosen me for those roles. And not because I've got myself together enough, not because I'm perfect enough, not because I'm good enough, but just because he loves me that much. And Jesus' work in his death and resurrection is enough to enable all of that to be true. Or is my identity based more on what I can achieve, what I can do, what other people say about me, what other people think about me? Where is my sense of identity and self-esteem coming from? Do I understand that the God of the universe has chosen me to be his temple, to be his priest, to be one of his chosen people? That is absolutely staggeringly good and amazing news. And So I'm going to pray that as we head into this week, we can continue to reflect on that. We're going to transition into communion in a moment and then we're going to finish our service by singing a song which has these words in the bridge. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. So as we sing that in a few minutes, I want to encourage you to sing that as a prayer. I'm going to pray now to wrap our time up in our message and pray that this would seep into us we have the opportunity to declare, I am chosen by God. I am who God says I am. That's the starting point for everything else. That's the foundation that I can build my life on. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you do see us differently to how we see ourselves. I know that so often for me, my identity and my sense of self-esteem is based not in the things that we've talked about today, not in the truth that we see unfolding through the pages of the Bible, but affected so much by what I achieve or what I don't achieve, by successes or failures, by what other people say, what other people think. And that sends me all over the place. My desire is that you would continue to challenge me about what it looks like to put these things as the core of who I am. that's my prayer for each one of us In our own ways, each of us wrestle with our identity and our self-esteem, who we are. We thank you for the truth of what you have spoken over us. You believe in us enough to construct a living temple out of us. You believe in us enough to be able to be your holy priests. You believe in us enough to choose us to be a part of your family, a part of your holy nation. Those things are absolutely astounding. We're so grateful that you see us that way and that as we've talked about before, the decision to choose us to be in all of those positions is not contingent on what we've done. It's not because we've got our act together enough, but you made those decisions before the creation of the world, before you created anything, you intentionally said, this is who you are. This is who you're going to have the opportunity to be because of the work of Jesus. So we thank you for that. And as we head into this week, I pray that you would continue to challenge us, that in those moments where we allow ourselves to flow and focus on other things, help us to come back to the truth of who you say that we are. In those moments where our selfish desires sometimes get the better of us, where we feel that sense of tension, that war that's going on inside of us, help us to put those things aside and instead to pursue the best version of who you created us to be the truth of who you say we are. In your name we pray. Amen.